Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Six Fight Post Fight Show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We're coming to you all just from the conclusion of UFC Fight Night, UFC Vegas 81, Yusuf versus Barboza. Don't facility as always in las vegas and uh the crusty oh apex yeah yeah the uninspiring oh very uninspiring but what a hell of a fight to put on in front of absolutely nobody i know excellent awesome incredible fight in front of nobody there were a couple grandmas i think in the house of some of the fighters so there's that. Yeah, there's that. Somebody, some, 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 everybody's mom was there to cheer him on, but this was not. Uh, yeah, this fight would have uh, the crowd would have been electric for this fight. Yeah, electric. Do this. So they got robbed of that, but yeah, you do this fight in Sao Paulo. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. So. A banger to close the show. Edson Barboza coming back from the brink of death itself to take on every judge's scorecard every single other round of the fight. Now, personally, I had scored it a draw because I thought that Barboza still got hurt just a little more in round two than okay. uh, Yusuf did. I thought he was still rocked and dealing with being rocked from round one, and the shots that Yusuf landed seemed like they were moving him around more still. But that is a very subjective view of things, and I had no problem with Barboza getting that round, giving him all the rest of the because three, four, and five. I, well, I'll be I'll be honest. The reason that we didn't do a video show tonight is that my computer crashed in round four, so I missed round four. Um, but three and five, and everything I could see here and recap of round four, all went to Barboza without a much que- without much question. Yeah, four looked a lot like five without the takedowns. Yeah. So you really didn't miss much. Yeah. Um, Yusuf did. Uh, he started to punch himself back into the fight and started to do a lot better than he was in the third. Uh, but the 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 volume still lied on the side of Barpos. And like it, essentially, um, Yusuf started the fight with this crazy blitz pressure, like he always does. He's a pressure fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, he he throws power combinations. It's much more of a Dutch kickboxing style than it is a Muay Thai style. And uh, traditionally, if you wanna if you wanna beat Barboza, you gotta pressure him. You can't yeah. you can't give him time to sit at range and think and analyze you because he's gonna set things up and he's gonna start to pick you apart. Yeah, he's no, gonna, I mean I'll be honest. Yeah, this was exactly the right way to, for Yusuf to fight Barboza. I did not think Yusuf was a good enough pressure fighter or a slick enough combination puncher, frankly, to fight him this way. But no, he did a hell of a job for a round and showed exactly what you got to do to go out. And like, there is still a book of how to beat Edson Barboza, and he did it. He he had Edson Barboza dead to rights. He, he followed that plan perfectly, but he didn't he didn't kill him. Right. And at what we saw the rest of the way is kind of a lot, a lot more what I expected, which is like Yusuf, he can pressure. He he does have some power, but he's a lot more, you know, his footwork isn't so strong that he's usually able to just pressure people easily nonstop with his hands and well, he got well stuck. he's he's good at pressuring but when he's not throwing is when he's getting tagged yeah and i mean he a, a lot of, in the past a lot of times he's used he used to step square as he pressured yeah. a lot yeah. Yeah, yeah. so like he had a lot of trouble with alex caceres trying to walk alex caceres down 
in that fight. And he, I think, you know, as time went on in this Edson Barboza fight, he lost that little bit of spring that he had early on. And then suddenly the idea of trying to walk Barboza down and get square to him and let him land became a much more daunting proposition. As it should, you know? Yeah, I think uh, if it weren't for the heart and durability and toughness of Barbosa, I mean, he lesser men would have died in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, well, this, Yusuf landed some bombs. He at, did. And, th- and uh, th- this is the thing, too, with Barbosa and this style. It's like, yeah, there's a set way to beat Edson Barbosa, but people forget how goddamn hard it is for almost everyone every time to actually make that work. You know, people remember the first round Jamie, Jamie Varner knockout, or they remember the uh, first round, Justin Gagey knockout. Mm-hmm. And they forget how hard Giga Chikadze and Kevin Lee and even Habib and Tony Ferguson and, Michael Johnson, everybody else who beat Barboza over the years, Paul Felder, like how hard all of these people had to work to make that plan happen. Right. It takes a lot because Barboza, like he can get tagged up, he can get hurt. But if you're not putting him all the way away, that dude will fight with every last bit of his being. Mm-hmm. No, it's... uh. Credit to him. Yeah. I mean, Yusuf, if he could have, if he had the gas tank to fight the way he did in the first round, you know, in two, three, four, and five, like he would have had it all day. But yeah, he just, he, he tried to kill Barbosa, which, you know, like you said, he should have done. Yeah. He, Uh, he, he, it it worked. He definitely, he, he followed the game plan perfectly to a T, but, it's that that sliver between life and death and Barboza hung on to it. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if, um, I wonder if Sadiq only took top position in that first round when Barbosa was badly hurt because he was tired. He did tire himself yeah. out. So he's like, shit, I'm just going to have to kind of hunker down in top position. Cause I'm, I'm gassed. Like I'm petered out. Yeah. I think so. Man. And another thing, as soon as, as you know, Barbosa escaped that horrible first round, comes out in round two and right away attacks the body. Yeah, right? that I loved. I was. Uh, it's the best. Sadiq's like clinching up for the tie clinch and Barbosa's like, bet while you're getting your tie plum, I'm going to rip to the body three times, like cleanly, yeah. unblocked. I, I loved seeing Barbosa start going to the liver hard in round two because he's hurt. And Yusuf is beating him to the punch up top. He's beating him when they get in clinch. He's beating him up in tight and hitting him harder. And Barboza just starting attacking the body before they could get that close in or when they actually clinched up over and over. Like, you know, to me, it was that was a point where it's just like, OK, Barboza knows he's got to start damaging Yusuf in a way that gets him seriously back into this fight. And headhunting isn't doing it. He came out trying to match headhunting with Sadiq Yusuf, and it did not go well. But pun- just punishing the body over, like, there is a path there. And if Yusuf was getting tired, that sure as hell did not help, you know, help him get his win back. So, yeah, it was brilliant for Medicine Barboza. It's brilliance and it's just resilience. Yeah. Right. He had to have them both, man. Credit to him for gutting out that first round. That was. Yeah. No. Definitely 10 8 round. Absolutely. I, that much more, you know, a much bigger deal to me than the idea of, oh, this could have been a draw for Yusuf or, oh, you know, whatever that stuff. One judge not giving Yusuf a 10 8 in round one is absolutely criminal who was that we gotta put him on blast yeah let me let me get back on twitter we gotta speak that name out there we can't just yeah oh the judge like nah who's this motherfucker 
We need names. I can't imagine any criteria that you could name that you could read off that would make any sense where that would not be a clear 10-8 round. I don't care how much Dana White hates 10-8 rounds, even by his definition, which is somebody has to be almost dead for a 10-8 round. That's a 10-8 round. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. The judge that gave it a... Chris Lee. Chris motherfucking Lee. (laughs) Fucking Chris Lee. Oh, wow. Scored round one a 10-9 for Sadiq Yusuf. That is criminal. You teach classes on the 10-8 round, and... It would, it would, you, you could teach them with that, this fight, like with that round one. That is the clearest way to scope to get a 10 8 round out there. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Like, let's look at the stats here. What happened statistically in that round? Yusuf got a knockdown, he got three minutes of control time. And he outlanded Barboza 42 to 13 in significant strikes and 55 to 14 in total strikes. Like, all across the board, this is the definition of dominance. It's the definition of suspect is what this is. Wow. It didn't end up, I mean, I, I don't know what it would be, like, weighing towards in the end of the day. If, it, if if that were the difference between this fight being scored a draw and not scoring a draw with Chris Lee and his 10-9 round one, then yes, I would be like, man, that's super suspicious. But the fact that everybody scored it for Barboza all the rest of the way kind of just makes that a, a huge blind spot. Right. I will say, too, in my defense for my Sadiq Yusuf one round two argument, Yusuf, apparently, according to the stats, did outland Barboza 42 to 31 in round two as well. Say that one more time. Yusuf outlanded Barboza 42 to 31 in round two. Oh, in round two. Um, yeah. So to your point of giving the second round to Yusuf, that's fine. Yeah. It was all it was the first half was really good for Yusuf while while Barboza was still woozy. And by the end of the round two, Barboza was pouring it on. So, you know, yeah, that's definitely when the tide turned. It is unquestionably. Great win for Barboza, though, man, I've been I was talking about this going in this week. This dude, when he hit that wheel kick on Terry Edom in 2012, you could right then start being like, oh, Edson Barboza is a top 10 lightweight. You know? Yeah, no. He showed up with some of the crispest striking I've ever seen. Yeah. Some of the cleanest, the cleanest striking. You could be like, this guy is a, he's a borderline elite fighter in the lightweight division. And here we are 11 years later, he is 37 and he is still a borderline elite fighter in the featherweight division. Like all through all these years, even with a three, a, a string of three losses Whatever, this dude has maintained a level of being a like borderline elite. He's never been a title contender, but he has always been right on the edge of that group for a decade. Yeah, he's fought them all. Like he's fought, yeah. he's fought the title contenders, right? Yeah, he's like a- all of them. Tony Ferguson, you know, Anthony Pettis, Gilbert Melendez, Gagey, you know, like, and even the guys he's fought that aren't 
contenders like your Anthony and Jaquani, your Ross Pearson, Danny Castillo, Bobby Green, mm. Evan Dunham, like Anthony and Jaquani. Yeah. That's how old school this is. <laughs> yeah. Shane Burgos, Billy Quarantillo, Bryce Mitchell, Giga Chikati, like all of everybody he has fought is really good. And he's been doing that at that level for 10 plus years. It's it's absurd longevity. It is honestly just it is amazing that Edson Barboza can be out there getting a win over a dude like Sadiq Youssef, who is 30, who is in his prime right now and could not go out there and beat Edson Barboza. Man, I wanted to pick Barbosa so bad here, but I just couldn't because I knew that first round storm was coming and I, I didn't think he was going to survive it. I picked him. I picked him. You picked Barbosa? I did. Uh, I thought I looked at Sadiq Yusuf's time in the UFC and I looked at him like, you know, this dude, he feels like a knockout puncher. You watch him, you watch him land, you think of his fights and you're like, man, yeah, Sadiq Yusuf has power. He has knocked out Gabriel Benitez and Suman Mokhtarian in the UFC, his absolute worst competition in that time, and nobody else. Like, he's just a little too predictable, a little too one-note. And... I figured if Edson Barboza is going to survive and fight five rounds against Sadiq Youssef, I got to take Edson. Yeah. Good call. So it's, it's, it's really, I still, I still scored the, the fight a draw. I still, you know, <laughs> true. Yeah. But I, Edson Barboza showed, he showed why he is the dude he is down the stretch. And Sadiq Youssef showed why he's not, making that title run you know unfortunately you hate to say it but this was this was his moment to break through and make himself a top 10 featherweight on 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 a run to contention and he didn't grab it no but barbosa like i hope he gets some short notice title fight like that's what i'm (laughs) for you know some yeah, or at the very least, you know what? At the very least, have 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 Edson Barboza fight like Max Holloway or something like that. Yeah, get him one of those. Get him a big fight against a former champ like that. That feels you know he can headline a card again. I mean he mm-hmm. headlined this card. So what am I saying? You know. No, but for sure a legacy fight like that. Yeah. If not, you know maybe an interim since they got um. Volkanovski's fighting uh, Islam now. There you go. Yeah. Maybe they're doing another interim title. This is Ilya Topuria, which immediately makes me feel all the bad vibes. I'm sorry, but like. Not me. I mean, as long as he's fighting for some gold. Sure, sure. That's cool. He's already. Like, it doesn't matter now. It would be good if at some point in his career he could have gotten a title fight. It is wild to think, with as good as he's been for as long as he's been good, that he's never been right place, right time, good enough to be a title contender. Yeah. It's it's almost like an kind of like an Alex Caceres. Like just right there, but Yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. Interim title fight. Let's go. Yeah. All right. Moving on from there. We've got Vivi Araujo, Jennifer Maya, and so I, I admit my uh, I was doing like four things at once, following a couple cards. My attention waned just a little bit in the back half of this card fight when Araujo started out grappling Maya mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So I was surprised to see some people really contentious that uh, Maya won this fight, actually. I A, didn't think it was interesting enough to warrant that contention. That's where I'm at. Damn and this fight. He just kind of thought uh, Rajo just generally took the last two rounds. 
Um, yeah, like this fight came at a, a terrible time. It's like we had some bangers, we had some really cool shit happen, and then this fight takes place and just starts stinking up the joint. Like it wasn't a great fight. Um, you know, there was a lot of grappling, a lot of control without, um, you know, the necessarily damaging ground strikes or close submission attempts. Um, round one was fucking boring. Uh, I thought, just, round, I mean, round one was the most exciting round of the card or of the fight. Yeah. Although I'm looking now at the scorecards and seeing why people are mad at me. Because uh, all judges scored it 10. They scored the first two rounds for Araujo and the last one for Maya. So, okay. I guess I didn't, I, I didn't watch round three close enough. Like I said, my attention, I'll admit freely, was like three different ways and I was not inter- that engaged. So no. I scored yeah. round one for Maya, but I can, it, was, it was a toss-up round. I'm not going to argue. It was, yeah, it was sticky. It was a sticky yeah. round. But I think Araujo clearly got the second. Yeah, there was no question about that. The round two had to be Araujo. I just thought it was two and three and not one and two. But whatever. Um, Araujo picks up a, a bit of a controversial win. But at the same time, like, I've also seen Maya in every version of of a contender fight, including a title fight. But I've seen her against Chukagian. I saw her against Jessica I. I saw her against Manon Fioro. Uh, and they were just never interesting, good fights. So I saw her against Liz Carmouche back in the day. Like, it just, I will admit, I'm not actually all that sad about the idea of Araujo getting a couple of those fights instead. Yeah. Um, Again, not a great fight. No. Like, not a great fight. And this is supposed to be contention? No. Is this title contention? Like... Yeah, I mean, they're both ranked in the... I think at the edge of the top ten, so it wasn't actually going to be a real contender's fight, but... Yeah, this will set set Araujo up for a fight with Macy Barber that I'll pick Macy Barber to win. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Jonathan Martinez, Adrian Yanez, and uh, man, you know, I can't help but be happy for the Dragon because he has one of the UFC's most soft-spoken personalities. And when he first came to the UFC and he lost to Andre Sukumta and Mm -hmm. Andre Ewell, over a couple of years, I mean, I know in between that he had the we, the wins over Wuliji Buren and uh, Lu Pingyang. I was kind of like, okay, Martinez, he's got some fun skills, but he's kind of just some guy. And he, I know he had another loss to Davy Grant not long after that, but he has just even uh, even including that. He has slowly picked up and pieced together a more and more technical game every single year until now he's a top 10 Bantamweight and people did not see that coming for him. No, it it, it definitely seems like he turned an elite corner. I'll say that. Yeah. That Davy Grant loss was kind of rough and abrupt. Yeah. It was so just, um, but he's been on a crazy tear against some really good competition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's two two TKOs via leg kicks in his last three fights. And well, it's not yeah. he's not fighting bums. No. <laughs> like he's that's insane, man. How quickly, how few leg kicks it took to yeah. Yanez to just be, you know, crippled out there. It's insane. Like he. It didn't even look like they were hard kicks, but I guess the spot, the location he was he was tagging over and over. I mean, Yanez was a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was just I mean for me it was a little bit of a you know going into this I picked Martinez so I get a little throw a little extra. 
it is the kind of fight that I think Yanez has been heading for for a while, and he just didn't know it. Bantamweight is a hard division to be a uh, almost purely kind of boxing-focused fighter. Yeah, or, or one-dimensional in any kind of way. Yeah, one-dimensional in any kind of way. And he's got a very boxer, he's got a boxer stance, and he's never been that great at dealing with low kicks before, but he's never really fought somebody who was a great low kicker before. So it's kind of one of those, what you don't know won't hurt you kind of things until he fought Jonathan Martinez and people are like, Oh, well, how wasn't he ready for all that? And all that. It's like, yeah, he's had a long career already where this problem just never came up, you know? Yeah. Guys, and he, guys honestly, like he, he tried to check kicks. Yeah, he did. It, he wasn't, it didn't work. He, he yeah. wasn't proficient at, at, at blocking those kind of kicks. Guys like Martinez and Gutierrez, they are so crafty with how they set up those low kicks. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a one camp adjustment. Kick checking has to just it, be a part of your game. Right, right. So this was a wake up call for Yana Yanez. I, I think, you know, he's always struck me as a kind of fighter who he has, he has a game that can just, he can lean on it and get better and better with it for years. I don't think this is like a huge momentous setback for him, but it was, it, it was a, a loss that he was walking into. He's walked into a couple now where it's just like, you've crafted a game that is very good as a pocket boxer, but you're at bantamweight, not welterweight or middleweight. You know, you can't be just that guy in this division. And he's had a couple people show him that now. Yeah, so. but I mean, it's it's something to build off of for sure. It is, yeah. There are lessons to learn here. Here, if you can learn them. And he's got he's got the technique, he's got the style, he can add pieces onto his game, he can learn and adapt, but for Jonathan Martinez, you know, it's one thing too to say, oh, Yanez was heading for that kind of loss, but it's another thing too to say Martinez, he went out there and he executed. And that was Oh yeah, he took it. He took it. And like he did the same thing to Cub Swanson. So yeah. this isn't this isn't a fluke or you know, no. like an injury accident or anything like that. And, and like, uh, it's how the dude fights. It's how the, yeah, and you know, uh, Connor Rebush, my uh, partner over on the Bibi, was noting what we were. Wa- he was watching this live and noting on Twitter, like, Yan, you know, uh, Yanez was trying to adapt and find the counters to Martinez's low kick, and so Martinez was he was changing the direction of his footwork, changing the direction he would lo- he would roll and how he would enter on that low kick and how he would feint to set it up. He was making it so. Even if Yanez is trying to take that tool away from him, like Martinez isn't just going out there and stepping in and throwing a low kick every time. Right. They're not naked kicks. No. It's this is it's great to see. Like I, you know, I know some people out there they don't like to see how much the calf kick has changed the game in MMA. Yeah, those people are fucking silly. Yeah. I'm gonna call it right now. Those. (laughs) I love. Yeah. I agree. Those are the same people who like bitch about leg locks at like ADCC. No, I love to see anytime an opening for a specialist is created in combat sports. We should love that. Like, that's great. Yeah. You want to see games diversify and isolate because it creates more fascinating fights, you know? And like, honestly, just at a, at a pure practical standpoint, like part of why I like watching MMA is because like I want to know what can work. Yeah. Like what can work? Like oh shit, kicking kicking the calf is actually pretty damn effective. Saw some ki- so a video on YouTube or on Twitter the other day rolling around of like some two two like you know 15 16 year old kids in like at, at school slugging it out having a fight. And, like, their boxing is all tight. One of the kids is just out there low-kicking the other one, relentlessly kicking the calf. 
and they're you know they're checking each other. And it's just like this is good. This is what you know. Yeah. Teach the kids how to how to fight. Give them give them the example. So. I I love I love seeing that kind of stuff. I love seeing the MMA game advance and people have to advance it because you know if we it, it, there's no reason that kick checking shouldn't be built into everybody's training if they want to become a pro MMA fighter someday. You know, sure checking in general or just yeah. kick defense, proper kick defense, whether exactly. you're catching kicks or checking kicks or just evading kicks with footwork. Yeah. All that stuff should be – if it takes fighters, too many fighters losing out at the elite levels of MMA, if that's what it takes for that to trickle down into MMA's, MMA teaching systems at lower levels, then that's what it takes, you know? Yeah. So I love to see it. And I love I, – you know what, too? Considering Dvalshvili very well might get frozen out of the title picture here, calling yeah. him out is a good idea too. I don't know if it's a fight Martinez can win, but aim high. So yeah, yeah it's a smart call out mm-hmm. and a ballsy call out. Not too many yeah. people even want to have to deal with that style. Right? Exactly. That's why it's smart because if I would if, avoid it like the plague. <laughs> if Dvalishvili is getting frozen out of the title fight and he just needs to take a fight. How many people are going to be lining up saying, I want that fight? No, Martinez has already put his name down. Yeah, otherwise, yeah. Uh, otherwise, too, I got to say, Song Yudong apparently is going to need a headlining opponent for that China card in December. Mm. Martinez and Song? Yeah. That sounds violent. Sounds super violent. So... Because the only other people otherwise that would be likely to, to be in line to even take that would be like uh, Pedro Munoz or Dominic Cruz. And Dominic doesn't sound like he's all he's running back to the cage for any just any fight. So. You know. Yeah, not that that, that bantamweight division, the elite side of it is almost entirely unbooked right now. But you got Cejudo laid up with injury. You got Umar Nurmagomedov laid up with injury. You've got Sandhagen and Dvalishvili and Vera all hunting title fight. And and then uh, you got O'Malley who's like angling for the Vera fight. Yep. And you've got the the Vera fight likely to be made. And if the Vera fight gets made, then Sandhagen Dvalishvili seems like a pretty likely fight to get made. You know. Sure. So a lot of those opportunities for a division that's wide open, a lot of those opportunities start to get sewn up in a hurry. So, But then it's like, what do you do with Aljo, though? Because he's still there. Yeah, he just needs to move up to featherweight. He's been talking <laughs> about how he's going to do that forever. Now's the time, man. I know uh, you didn't want to do it on these terms, but Sean O'Malley's never going to fight you again. Just Go go to 145 if you're going to do it. I like the DC goaded him. Oh, the- man. You know, it would be fantastic. Aljo go to 145 and fight Edson Barbosa for an interim title. <laughs> there there it is. Now you're thinking. <laughs> All right. That brings us to the most obvious this should have happened five years ago move in recent UFC history. Michelle Pereira moving up to middleweight to fight Andre Petrosky. And has any fighter ever in their whole damn life looked more like a middleweight than Michelle Pereira did at welterweight? Like, <laughs> this man was born a middleweight. He's got the weird one, sort of one-dimensional game that he's really good at, really athletic with. Just kind of an oddball dude. Huge. Just fight at 185. 185 is full of these guys. It's He's like an Alex Pereira, but just one division down. He's a, yeah. he's a you know. He's Yol Romero if Yol didn't do all that wrestling. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, he's got that light heavyweight style, but he's yeah. at middleweight, but was trying to cut down the welterweight. Yeah. 
185 is where he belongs for sure. 185 is where he belongs for sure. And he smoked Andre Petrosky. Mm-hmm. This was one of those other things like like the Yanez thing where it's like, okay, you were always walking towards this loss. Petrosky, good wrestler, good grappler, spends a lot of time striking with a very clunky striking game in his fights. And it was just like, someday somebody's just going to go out there and wreck you for this. And this was the time. Yeah, it's, it was only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, that's the downfall of being a specialist, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you're so f- you specialized, you're not you're not well rounded, and you know I guess you can say Pereira's a specialist too. I guess you can call him a knockout yeah. artist. He's more of just a wild man. He's just a wild man, but he's definitely mostly a striker, a sniper. If like I didn't know any better, I would have think I, I would have thought his his. His background is like college football or something. Yeah, right. Like he seems like just an athlete. Like, and I know he has skill. Like yes. he's seen the the flashes of fundamentals. Mm-hmm. But he's just he goes out there and he just he's he's, he's a freak. <laughs> he's one of those dudes who's just so athletic that for years he literally never had to learn any functional MMA. He had like you know, 25 fights before he got to the UFC and he lost a bunch of them to the most random dudes you could ever pick out of a lineup just because he did not care at all about learning how to fight well because he was absurdly fast and absurdly strong. And then he started losing in the UFC and that, you know, that turned it around for him. And I'm glad it did, because the moment he got even just a little bit of like, oh, maybe I should calm down a little bit and be a little bit precise and have a little bit of judgment about what to do when. He's he's been impossible to beat. Yeah, when he's not backflipping. <laughs> yeah. You know, and doing all the uh, special moves. Yeah, it really just took the humiliation of getting out wrestled by featherweight Tristan Connolly. Yeah, but I, I mean, I love how dangerous he is. He's oh yeah, he's one of the most dangerous. And like that's what I mean with that. He's got a light heavyweight style. Like yeah. his physicality is like it trumps whatever tech technical <laughs> martial arts you're trying to do. Just gets negated with pure horsepower. Oh, I mean, he just hit Petrosky one time. Dude, through the guard. He hit him through the guard. Yep. And this is, you know, Petrosky has been out there banging it out on the feet. He went to war, hammer, and tongs with Hu Zong in 2021. If you remember that fight, like, they just whomped on each other for three rounds. And Michel Pereira just went out there and hit him once straight and that was it he has blinding speed he has freak show freak show speed it's only going to be that much faster up a division like he had blinding speed at at welterweight so it yeah man it's and like him moving up to middleweight we're all like yeah 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 but like hearing hearing kamaru uzman going up to middleweight I'm like, Ooh. yeah, uh, <laughs> that's tough. Cause I mean, the thing that makes a great wrestler, the, the best thing a wrestler needs in his pocket is a size advantage, right? Like you want to be the bigger, stronger guy as a wrestler. And if you're going to be a pace wrestler up a division at middleweight, that's a worry. And if you're going to be a striker the way that Usman has spent a lot of time striking, then being, you know, suddenly being up with longer, more powerful dudes at 185, that feels like a problem too. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what we'll see how it goes for Usman. I'm not uh, I'm not as like about it as other people, but it definitely has the feel of a late career. 
I'm going to try this once and then immediately undo it kind of move. It sounds like a mistake. For yeah. Me, I could be wrong. It's happened once or twice. But it's it just feels like like just a bad idea. And the stylistic matchup is like, what the fuck are you thinking? Yeah. Like, what are you going to – you're going to – I don't know. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. Uh, that gets us, though, to a – well, and next fight's potential. I mean, I know there are some cool fights. There's your uh, oh, Topolov or your Oleg Sajuks out there and stuff like that. But honestly, I kind of want to see, like, Pereira get throw him in there. You know, Nasadin Imovov is, like, uh, <laughs> an obvious kind of matchup, right? I mean, if you want to see Imovov get knocked out or, you know. And, I mean, this might sound a little cruel, too, but I would also just say, like, also maybe Brad Tavares. Like, get Pereira in a fight that will immediately make him a top 15 fighter is what I'm saying. Um, well. Could do a Chris maybe. Curtis. Or, or you put him in there with Paul Craig. Sure, Paul Craig. He would. I would love to see him fight Paul Craig. I, I feel, feel like bad for Paul Craig, but. Get, give him the IQ test. If he passes that, then, okay, let's get him in there. With, uh, you know, like a Vittori or, yeah, you know, even Jared Cannonier. That's what I'm saying is that, like, get him. I want one fight where Michelle Pereira goes out and wins that. And then I want to see him in that clear top five, top ten kind of area right now. Because he's 30. He's had, what, uh, 40 pro fights at this point in his career. And he is fast and composed as hell. Get him mixed into that contender area right now. I want to see it. Yeah, I got to see the Paul Craig freak show, though. All right. I do. I'm I'm willing. I'm willing. <laughs> you know, oh, it'd be fucking wonky. It'd be it so would, wonky. It would be very wonky. Otherwise, let's see. We got it. We got a catchweight bout. Christian Rodriguez, Cameron Simon. Rodriguez just has to get his. He just has to get his camp together. I gotta say, because that dude does not look like he needs to be a bantamweight or a featherweight at all, rather. But if he's missing weight by five pounds, then that's that's a that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Yeah. That's a huge problem. Like he, I've only I've only seen this guy miss weight. <laughs> you know. He's, and he's five foot seven and he's not cut. So this is not a problem, like I say, where I'm thinking like, oh no, nah, like you've got you got Nate Manis as a five foot ten flyweight. I every time I see that, I look at it sideways. But Rodriguez should just be a fine bantamweight. I don't know what his deal is with his his weight cuts, but he's got to get that under control. Probably just got to get a better nutritionist. Because it you know. could be, it could. I mean, it could be a million different things. That yeah, he just looks soft fixed. enough that it just seems like he's probably not running a hard diet. You know. Yeah, he definitely. Uh... It looks like he could he could cut some body fat, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I hate even saying that. Like, I think I'd rather see him just go up. Yeah, I, go I get up. that too. But he's not going to be competitive up a division, I don't think. Yeah, well, he's cheating right now, right? <laughs> like, if you got to be the big guy to compete, like, and that's what I'm saying. Is I don't think he needs to be the big guy to compete. I don't think the weight he has is giving him. The advantage it, oh, you bullshit. would bullshit. I, I know you're I, I know weight does help. I'm it not saying definitely it. played a factor in this fight. One hundred percent. He clearly packed more more wallop in his punches. He clearly out muscled um some man and 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 a lot of those scrambles, like just out muscled him. It wasn't that his technique was better. 
he just straight threw his muscle and like the body on him. Well, like, Simon Simon's also a uh, he's a dude who's too aggressive for his own good. He will give up any sure. positive position to attack more. He's very like you know he and he and Drikas Duplessis both fight with that sort of complete recklessness for their own positional dominance. Yeah, very cavalier. But yeah, it's just for me. It's it's just one of those things. I look at Rodriguez, and he might have to be forced to go up a division, but this to me just looks like a camp issue. I don't know what it is. Yeah, like it's cons- it's it's consistent though. It's a consistent yeah. thing when he's fighting guys who are grapplers. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just saying. You know, he's only had the two UFC fights, but he's had three. Oh yeah, you're right. Or four. He's, he's had, had four. I forgot about that. So he fought um, Jonathan Pierce at featherweight. Yeah. And then Josh Weems at bantamweight. Yeah. And then he botched those two weight cuts against the uh, undefeated uh, prospects. Weirdly enough. Yeah. Who uh, were grapplers, and he came in heavy. Well, I mean, Pierce and Weems are grapplers, too, but it's neither here nor there. Yeah. Either way, he's got to get this fixed, because I love, the, du- I love the, the technical parts of his game, honestly. Like, the dude is really defensively strong and crafty and a good counterpuncher. Mm-hmm. I like how he fights. He's smart. He's a smart yeah. fighter. He's a smart fighter. He's not a great athlete, but he fights smart all the time. But he's got to get his camp together because he can't yeah. be missing weight like this. Hey, at least he's winning the fights, though. I'll, I will say that. Yeah. And I picked him to win. So there. <laughs> yeah, I picked him to win, too. There's and, that, too. Uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to see the whole, like, we're the real Africans. We're going to run these divisions thing dead with the Simon part of this, with Drikas Duplessis pumping his teammate up as part of that. I'm happy to see that go away. And I'm happy to see the Raul Rosas hype train hit a bump in the road because Gen Z needs to slow down. I'm <laughs> ready to feel that old yet. Amen. Right? I, I'm, I'm not ready to feel that old either. Yeah. So... Keep keep winning, keep be, keep being heavy, keep being fat for the annoying sea <laughs> rod, and then get it together. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout: Darren Elkins, T.J. Brown, and Darren Elkins pushing back Father Time one more time. It was. I picked him going into this, and my feeling going into this is like, how run down does Aaron, Darren Elkins have to be before I stop picking him to win a fight that I would have picked him to win every single time, every single year in the past? And I still had to pick him. And yeah. TJ Brown just fought. He fought Darren Elkins' fight down to the core. You know? Um, I expected Elkins to win. I expected him to get a rear naked choke submission. Yeah. I felt like that was the logical, um, conclusion here. Like, what are you going to go out scramble Elkins? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's where the, that's where that veteran savvy comes out. So you go out there and you try to do that. Like you ain't been around long enough to know enough, enough slide tricks to, to win out with a guy like Darren Elkins. Like, nah, dude, (laughs) nah. I saw, you know, I watched Brown in those fights that he had with like Shailan and Jordan Griffin and even like Charles Rosa and stuff. And you see him get taken down and then start playing guard and trying to grapple off of his back. And it's just like right there. I'm like, no, this isn't happening. The moment you're getting taken down and you're like, oh, I'm going to have I'm going to have attacking ideas and other moves I can make while staying on the ground. And you're not an elite level black belt, like competitive 
jujitsu champion. I'm just picking Darren Elkins to win that fight. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, all he had to do was initiate the grappling. He didn't even have to, like, score takedowns. He nope. just had to initiate the grappling and then win the scrambles. Yeah, I mean, there was that moment Brown, like, picked Elkins up and slammed him down. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's nice. And then, like, 10 seconds, 20 seconds later, Elkins is on top having reversed him. And you're just yeah. like, this is did that helped you zero amount. Yeah, this was a feel-good moment for me. Yeah. <laughs> good um, to see Elkins still being a road dog out there. No, it's that it's the whole Tim Means thing, right? Yep. Like us old guys got to stick together. That's right. I'm starting to feel that generational bond much more, much stronger than I ever did when I was younger. We need to come up with like some cool little acronym or something, like the NWO. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> we got to think of it. Maybe, maybe. Maybe our listeners can come up with something. The old guys revolution or I don't know. Obviously, I shouldn't be naming it. No, <laughs> not whatever it is. You will not be in charge of, no. of, of naming it. <laughs> All right. On that note, we'll talk for a minute about Tainara, Lisboa, Ravina, Oliveira. Oh, boring. <laughs> really bad. Like. This is a fight that would not have highlighted, been a highlight for a regional card. Like, Jungle Fight would have put this on the prelims. Yeah, not good. It was bad. It's a Bobo fight. Yeah, really just, just poor. All right, that's it. Uh, Moving on. Terrence McKinney, Brendan Marat, and... um, Man, I feel bad for Marat because he he even had some like trash talk going into this fight about how he was going to like show McKinney up and outlast him and, you know, punish him and all this stuff. And he's got these great training partners and all that. And I'm watching tape and I'm like, you are going to get detonated in a round, man. Uh, There's no way you're getting smoked. And then he just got absolutely smoked he got beat twice (laughs) yeah like yeah he got starched by the knee and then uh i think the referee was about to jump in like he was right there and then decided not to i think it was it was herb dean yeah but uh the the fucking the hammer fist the ground and pound Mm -hmm. uh, mckinney was not about to let him off the hook mckinney's known for the quick finishes he's lightning and uh, yeah, as as expected here. Yeah, I feel bad for people who have to fight McKinney like that, because I think a lot of you know it's one of those things where a lot of fighters, especially coming off the regionals like Marat did, and he was a pretty protected prospect on the regionals. He was he seemed like a guy that like he fought a bunch for one organization. I can't remember what it was now. Let me let me find it. Who Marat? Yeah. He fought almost exclusively for combat zone Mm. and he was pretty protected for combat from by combat zone. I think he was a, uh, you know, a fighter getting a a pretty easy path through that. Are you mean to tell me fighting Lionel Young, who's 11 and 20 is uh, an easy fight? (laughs) I might be suggesting something like that. Uh, Shit. It's like his first real fight, Terrence McKinney. Yeah. <laughs> guys that's not really... funny either. I didn't even mean oh. to laugh, but that's just, it, uh, that's brutal, right? It, brutal. Because, too, like, even UFC, even seasoned UFC fighters do not, are not ready for how fast Terrence McKinney is. Like, yeah. There, there's a reason that Terrence McKinney has never seemed to learn or add any skills to his game. It is because he is so absurdly fast and and powerful that he can overwhelm just about anyone immediately. Well, that plus the fact that his fucking fights are like two minutes flat. 
So he doesn't yeah. even get time in the cage to develop as a fighter because he's either getting getting starched or he's starching someone else. Yeah, like, but I'm that's saying, it. You can go out. He can go out there and he can put a shock into Drew Dober. No problem. Yeah. You know. And Drew Dober has seen a ton of people fight. He's been in there with all kinds of dudes. Brandon Marat has not. And you're not ready. You're just not ready for that kind of speed. It's it's absurd. So Yeah, that's a ballsy step up. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And for McKinney, I just hope, you know, bounce him back into the into something more. That Chris Duncan fight was a, a solid fight booking. You know, I'd be happy to see him against any of a number of tried and tested lightweights at this point. I'd love to see him fight Jamie Malarkey. Ooh. You know, I think that'd sure. be a good solid fight. Yeah. Keep him in with those dudes who have had them, who all have also had five or six UFC fights in there, you know? Yeah. And that'll bang with them. Yep. All right. Woman's Bantamweight fight, Melissa Dixon, Irina Alexeva. And I was not impressed by Melissa Dixon's pre UFC fights. They were not yeah. great. She did not look great. She looked raw. She looked really raw. Her striking looked bad. Uh, I was really worried, too, about the fact that she showed it a lot here, that she cuts straight to mount when she hits the ground, which these days in the UFC against a lot of competition, mount is pretty unstable. It, it's begging to get swept. Reversed. Yeah. Yeah, reversed. But Alexiva is not that person quite apparently. And Melissa Dixon looked a lot better in this fight. You know? Yeah. hundred percent. One of those people who look kind of questionable. And it's almost to the point where it's like, why are they in the U.S.? How, yeah. how did they exactly. the UFC? But then they show up and they, and, and you know, what you see is far superior to the, the research or the, the existing tape on them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the reason for that. Um, I guess it could be people just becoming more comfortable as as they progress, yeah. as they get more time in. Fighters early in their career, like she is, she's only been fighting. You know, she's six and zero now. She just started as a pro in 2021, so she was an amateur before that. But the amateur doesn't count for that much. Yeah, and. So fight, you know, fighters in in that position like she is, even even though she's in her early 30s, they're still gonna progress pretty quickly. You know, they're still gonna get chances to really add new skills to their game. And she came out with a jab, and yeah, she leaned on that a lot, and it was solid. And she still got dropped and hurt for it, but she fought well, through it. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for that knockdown, I would have given her the first round. Oh, yeah, yeah, also. yeah. No, she was winning every moment of this fight except getting knocked down, really. Yeah. So, yeah, she just looked a lot better out there this time. So, uh, a, a more solid addition to the women's bandweight division than I expected. Yeah. That brings us to the true crime of the night. <laughs> Which is Chris Gutierrez versus Alatang Haile getting buried in the second to opening fight on this card. Absolutely down in the dregs for no reason at all. And Gutierrez putting on a hell of a good performance. Yeah, this is like this is like when they try to put Robbie Lawler on the prelims. Like, how dare you? Yeah. I don't um, the, the fight wasn't that great, though, so it kind of belonged down there. Nah, it was a good performance. It was a it, it was a tough it was a tough fight for Alatang Haile, and he didn't really have the tools to solve it. But Gutierrez showed up and did the thing. I was, you know, it was a better fight than R- Rodriguez Simon. Um, nah, I'm not so sure about that. At least the Simon fight was back and forth. Yeah. 
this I feel like this was um, just a whole lot of feints and measuring and like, you know, just probing and picking apart. Um, and then Alatong Hali is someone who is he's like just pressuring without connecting. And like that's hard to watch. It's like. I was happy. I, to, I, I was I was happy to see all the ways Gutierrez really like. <laughs> stopped him from being effective yeah no the neutralizing was cool but it's neutralizing i know like it's it wasn't the wow moments weren't there the wow moments. surgical yes it was surgical yeah i'm just saying gutierrez he rightly called the ufc out after that saying that he shouldn't be on the prelims and you know if you're if you're gonna put that guy on the prelims take the number off his name what i say like this is your in-house ranking system they think he's good he is good if you're gonna bury him for super raw like newcomers uh you know then take the number off his name if you're gonna bury him get rid of him i don't know about all that (laughs) slow down like where else would he have gone I don't know, but the Christian Rodriguez Simon fight. Yeah, like, that fight's nah, that was a better fight than this. Nah, Rodriguez missed weight by five pounds, and Simon is bad. It was just two two really inexperienced fighters scrapping. Yeah, but competitively speaking, it was a lot more back and forth, a lot more fun scrambles instead of one guy just walking forward and falling for every fucking feint thrown his way like that's not fun that's like target Eh. practice it's like it looked like watching someone spar for a fight like okay the the guy you're fighting is a pressure fighter so i want you to go out there and just come forward don't connect with anything but just come forward and let him work his counters and his feints and i'm not gonna say how it's highly performed well but i'd rather see a fighter like gutierrez show off like really good high level skill than see christian rodriguez show off his extra you know Spare tire. (laughs) Uh, Fair point. (laughs) Yeah. Fair point. All right. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout, Emily Ducote, Ashley Yoder. And uh, yeah, if Ducote had lost this, that would have been honestly just like time to hang him up. The fact Um, that she lost a round is actually kind of, from two judges, is kind of sad. She needs to, like, I know the the win meant a lot to her, but you know, you were a former Invicta champion with the title defense, and you're scraping a win out over Ashley Yoder. Um, I'm not surprised. I mean, we remember Ducote from um from her Bellator days too. Yeah, and she was pretty raw back then, and. I mean, I don't think uh, her game has really changed much. She from just can't. Thing. She she's got sharp technique. She just doesn't. She can't. She doesn't throw enough, and she doesn't have the defense to trust. Where if she did does start does start throwing more, she won't get hit more. So she's kind of just stuck in this very sort of simmering medium output striking style that pressuring and countering and not being you know basically fighting like a a really punishing heavy hitter but doing so without a lot of actual knockout power yeah i mean i don't think she's a world beater right no but, like, and that's okay no it's fine but you got to be hanging on to the lowest levels of the ufc level and she's but like, she's, that's OK, too. Like sure. journeymen are a thing. Yeah. Something I'm just saying this was this was a moment to either have you have to win this fight or. You know. What's the point? Mm, I don't know. I mean, not everyone is like some people believe they're going to make it to the title. Some people are there for the paycheck, you know, different folks, different strokes. Sure, sure. MMA is just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a rough sport to be there just for the paycheck, is what I'm saying. 
Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> true, true, true. But, you know. Yeah, you never know. It's kinda, right. it, it beats, you know, certain other lines of work you could be doing. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back with some bonus content for our subscribers. So if you're subscribing, stay tuned for that. And if you're not subscribing, this is the time right now, right do here. Do it. Do it. Do it. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.